the Empire podcast this week, we talk texting and chips with Felicity Jones, star of The Last Letter from Your Lover. And we try to get Stillwater star Matt Damon to not say anything controversial. <laughs> See how that goes. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has been binging loads of episodes of Superstore recently. And at the request of dozens of listeners, well, okay, one listener has been working on an impression of the store manager, Glenn Sturgis. <clears throat> That's the Jesus! There you go. Wow. That was... Nailed it! I, I mean, I've heard worse impressions I nailed that you Glenn! Do. I nailed Glenn! That was pretty good. What do you... That was a good one! The one before was also good! What do you mean I have a Muppet voice? Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, after a return to the live arena that was hailed as overlong and self-indulgent by those people at Total Giggling Idiots magazine, we are back, back, back in the virtual pod booth. And speaking of giggling idiots, I am joined, as ever, by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara! <laughs> Hello. At least I have also watched Superstore, so I have some idea what's going on right now. I pity those who do not. Yeah. James is lost. A great big <laughs> totally fucking nerd. James Dyer is totally lost. I am quoting a TV show you have not seen. Suck it, you pilot prick. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. We do not cover whatever in the name of all things unholy that is on the Pilot TV podcast. Explain it to me, Chris. So you're doing which Muppet? I'm confused. No. Comedy. Comedy, James. It's Superstore. It's a sitcom. Yeah. Is it? It's, it's a, a situation comedy. comedy. Yeah, it's set in a superstore and it's about the workers. It's actually secretly like stealthy, super left wing. Sounds dreadful. So I love it. But it's also mm. very funny. Yes. Yeah. Not the politics of it, but just the, the, the idea of it. To no, other wings are available. No. Yes. But uh, no, really. no, I have never, I've never watched it and I don't understand your, your reference. Okay, no. good. But trust okay. me, I fucking nailed it. I nailed it. Uh, anyway, welcome to the podcast. How are you both? Mm, you know. Yeah, mm, yeah. <laughs> high energy raring to go yeah Woo. we're really excited I love that uh, Helen's backdrop obviously none of the people listening to this can actually hear this but we are doing this via Riverside not Squadcast this week the Pilot mm. TV recording studio you are guests in the Pilot TV studio how are you finding it is it nice is it roomy is no, it airy no it's good uh, as in uh, you know, I just noticed that you can have up to five people in here so you can fit you Boyd Terry and both of your listeners in so that's nice solid <laughs> solid gag it's good Good yeah. So they've doubled their listenership. That's really impressive. Thank you, Helen. Yes, Keith now has a girlfriend. So that's uh, that's essentially what's <laughs> happened. Keith <laughs> So I'm just going to point out that Helen has redecorated. And not only do we have a small model of, is either one of the gentlemen from Buffy or Mary Poppins, I can't really tell. But also, Helen's book is in pride of place facing it over is. her shoulder. That, and oh I, my God, that yeah, is You are such a shameless, shameless self-publicist. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, that, that bit of that shelf is all of my books. Is it? A little bit along there, yeah. What do you mean all and of your that, books? How many have you written? Like three, plus a comic book, plus I did a forward for somebody else's book, so I put that on the same shelf. doesn't count. Hang on, hang on. You're including, you did a forward, so you're including that as one of your books. I'm just, I'm putting it next to mine as I Fine. transition out of my books ah, into other people's books, you I know. I see, I see. Yeah. yeah, and that's actually a little Zoltar, the fortune teller from Big. That's oh no, I meant the one on the other side with its, oh, with its here, arms that's, akimbo. That's me as Black Widow. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Right. So one of the gentlemen from Buffy or Helen is Black Widow. Yeah, you wow, can see how I made that offensive, are, you, are you suing Disney or are they suing you? What's happening here? <laughs> no, this was a promotional thing for the Winter Soldiers. Remember, James has a Winter Soldier of himself. I do. That's actually 100% true. Yes, I have a little me as the Winter Soldier. And didn't you yeah. get one as well, Chris? I did not. 
I was not there for whatever that was. Well, we had the whole office done. Do you remember the entire Empire office was done in miniature? We were all 3D printed. So we all went down mm-hmm. to the studio and mm-hmm. had little models of us. And they put them all in a big glass case and then removed them as, as people left. But uh, <laughs> and I, I, they said, you can come down in your, obviously your civilian clothes, but you can bring one prop. So I can't remember, Chris, did you have like Hulk fists or something? No, I had a, someone else had Hulk fists. Did you not have Hulk fists? No, you had a sword. You had a sword. I, yeah, I literally brought a broadsword with me and the studio was across London. So I had to carry this broadsword on the tube <laughs> across London. It's astonishing I didn't get arrested. Uh, no, I had, uh, I brought my snooker cue with me. I brought my pool cue with me. You did, the that's hess. it. Right. And yeah. they hated you for it because it's it's like quite thin and spindly. Your pool cue, I should point that out. I did also have my penis out in fairness. And uh, that's quite difficult when they do the... <laughs> When they do the 3D model, that's quite difficult for them to, because it breaks. Hmm. Yes. I bought uh, a stack of fantasy books. Of course you did. Hang on, then. I'm the great big fucking nerd. Yes, because you brought a broadsword, James. Yes. I mean, <laughs> that's nerdier. Could you, like go, could you go like full meta and schedule a, another session where you bring a model of yourself? And so they have to make Whoa. a miniature model of yourself. Then that holding miniature a model, model of yourself is holding, holding a, a miniature model of yourself. Model of yourself holding and a model then, of yourself. Yeah. Oh, and so on and so on and so on ad infinitum until the whole thing breaks and the singularity is revealed as a sham. That's what Christopher <laughs> Nolan would have done. <laughs> We've incepted ourselves by accident. Oh, God. Such a, sh- such a shame. Uh, yes, no, I did I did have that, not the Black Widow or Winter Soldier one. That was a different, that was a different uh, session that I wasn't part of. Uh, but I did have a uh, model of myself with my pool cue because we used to have a pool table in the office back when we had an office um and (laughs) this was a different office in fairness before we moved to the the depressing hellhole that is camden and then we had a we had a pool table in our office felted in in empire red shaftesbury avenue it was in yeah it was in empire red and i i spent a lot of time in that pool table you did a lot of time in that pool table but i was it has to be said fucking brilliant Anyway, enough of this pool and model nonsense. There's no three-fact structure you'll be delighted to know this week. Oh, shame. Oh, dear. I think we have, in a way, delivered our own little factoids about ourselves in this this faffing bit. Uh, So instead, we're going to launch straight into the listener question, which this week comes from Curator John a regular question contributor, mm. but he comes up with a good one uh, this week. Not to say that he hasn't come up with good ones in the past. Anyway, whilst I'm digging myself out of this hole, here the question <laughs> is... What do you think are the best and worst disguises in movies? And this is in relation to Black Widow and the workaround, the cheating in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where people can suddenly look like other people mm-hmm. and they don't really talk about the technology or how that works. Um, well, it's, not going it's, too much into spoilers there, but yeah. It's it's fine. It's like computery mask technology stuff. Totally makes sense. They borrowed it from Mission Impossible. They're borrowed yes. from Mission Impossible, yeah, 100%. Of course they have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why, you know, I think the best um, makeup in movies has to go to someone else because I feel like those are all using like super high-tech stuff that mostly doesn't exist with maybe one or two exceptions in Mission it's, Impossible's case. It's cheating. It's cheating by using like high-techness. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. I think the best ones are mostly cheating though because my answer would actually be Zoolander. Yes. Do you remember when Derek and Hansel, who's so hot right now, um, managed to get a basic makeup kit uh, just from Hansel's pocket or something and turn themselves into completely different people mm-hmm. of a completely different age, ethnicity, you know, mm-hmm. everything? Yes. That is impressive makeup to me. That That's what what you need. It is. Yes, mm-hmm. that is a fantastic bit of disguising. Well done, Derek and Hansel. <laughs> uh, finally, they're good at something. That's just before the files are in the computer sequence, isn't it? Yeah. In in the computer, the files, the files are, are in, in the oh, computer. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, 
great stuff. <laughs> yes, good one. That was on my list. That that may be definitive. We may mm. have a winner. Uh, already. I mean, is it, Jimbo, is it on a level with King Shark's disguise in the Suicide Squad? <laughs> I'm going to say not. I'm going to say when that moustache is in place, you cannot tell that he's a giant sentient walking shark <laughs> at all on any level. Fake moustache. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but that would not be my choice. My choice would probably be if we're discounting the Terminator, which you've got to be honest, is a pretty good disguise. I would go with another Schwarzenegger. I would go with Doug Quaid going through customs in Total Recall yes. for a holiday yes. lasting how long, yeah. Chris? Two, two weeks. weeks two weeks which then I always I always segue into the emperor at that point <laughs> two, two weeks, weeks two weeks uh, yes that is a cracking <laughs> cracking one what's a Terminator disguise well you know he pretends to be a human and he's actually a killer robot from the future what because he has like a skin suit hmm because he's in disguise. Because he's an infiltration model, Helen. That's no, his know. whole role. I'm, I'm really intrigued, but and I, I don't think we ever saw enough of the, you know, the mechanics underneath that. Like, does he have to ingest some food to kind of keep the, you know, the biological bits alive? That's that's really. That's Are we fact. sure about that? Though? Yeah, hundred percent. Mm. Big Max. Okay. The T1000, of course, is better at it. The T1000 is is better at disguises. Like, it's. I think that's mm. just. Fair to say. Even he, though, I think can't hold a candle to Sister Inviolata and Sister Euphemia from Nuns on the Run. <laughs> I think you can say Ro- Robbie Coltrane and Eric Idle were absolutely indistinguishable from actual nuns. Couldn't tell them apart, honestly. No, is that a all. nun or is that Robbie Coltrane? I still absolutely. can't tell to this day. Every no. time I see a nun, I think that might be Eric Idle. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, yeah, Whippy Goldberg disguises herself as a nun, doesn't also, she? Also, a lot of nuns in disguise. In Ghost. Yeah. A lot of yeah. nuns. A lot of nuns. <laughs> and Jumping Jack Flash. No, of course, Sister Act and Sister, Sister Act, Act 2 back in the habit. Mrs. Doubtfire, I 100% bought Robin Williams as an elderly Scottish lady. Absolutely. <laughs> and and look, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis, while we're, while we're talking cross-dressing, I mean, they are phenomenal in Some Like It Hot. Yeah, just nobody mentioned white chicks and I think we'll be fine. Yes. Oh God, let's not. Yeah, well, I mean, we should mention white chicks because the makeup there is just exemplary, isn't it? The same with uh, Martin Lawrence and Big Mama's house, that, where the actor just disappears into prosthetics, and you can't, <laughs> you can't tell, you just can't tell. Um, the, the nightmare fuel that's on screen in, in white chicks is just amazing. Uh, Lenny Henry and in, in True Identity, yeah, true identity. Is someone yep, who has to yep. change his identity an awful lot. Fletch, Chevy Chase, yes. and Fletch does an awful lot of disguising. Uh, he is, he's not like Pistachio Disguisey, the master of disguise, <laughs> who can effortlessly pass himself off as anything that you like, uh, including a deeply unfunny film. Uh, you know, Turtle, unfunny movie, it's all there. But yeah, Fletch does some really interesting disguises. And I often mm. wondered where he got the knack for that. Didn't you get trained in that at journalism school? I yes. missed that module. I must mm, have been, no. the same thing with the uh, Black Widow and the Winter Soldier model day. I, I must have just been off. It was in between shorthand and Quark Express. Yes, I, I, I miss Quark Express as well, and I'm not very good at shorthand. So the less said about disguises, the better, quite frankly. But hey-ho. Speaking of masters of disguise, the master of disguise, clearly a, a legend in his own field. Yes, I just mentioned him. What, Turtle? Dana Pistachio Disguise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, is that what yes. you See, I've never watched yes. the film. I've only, because it looks too horrible to contemplate. It's absolutely <laughs> so, horrendous. I didn't know it's that was his name. A true nadir of comedy. If you yeah. think the yeah. Love Guru was bad, then check out Dana Carvey in Master of Disguise. It's awful beyond belief. What about that time in Mission Impossible that mm-hmm. we were into? Was it the Russian general where it is actually Tom Cruise in a mask? 
before he takes off the mask. Like it's not a completely different person. In the first one. one of them. Yeah. In the first one. Is it a Russian general? It is. Uh, well, it's a general of some description. At the beginning, in the, the opening of Mission Impossible, when he's on the TV show and it's, it's Tom Cruise in the mask. But that's just Tom Cruise in the mask. It's not meant to be Ethan not Hunt Tom Cruise in, the, in mask. the mask. No, not Tom Cruise in the, in the mask, but Tom, that's Tom Cruise in... So is that Tom Cruise? Is that meant to be Ethan Hunt in the mask? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, the, the entire time. So yeah. it's Ethan Hunt yeah. in the mask right from the off, but he looks like Tom Cruise wearing prosthetics. This is confusing. So is it also Ethan Hunt as Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder? <laughs> <laughs> just assume... Just do the, do the same thing that I have assumed ever since Darkman came out in 1990 in that every movie is a Darkman <laughs> sequel. I know I've said this before in the podcast, but it is a theory that you cannot disprove... Okay, you cannot disprove this theory that at some point in every single movie made since Darkman, Dr. Peyton Westlake is in the film and there's no way you could prove otherwise. I feel like, I mean, he's very tall. I feel like we'd notice. He is tall. Time, Takatito, time. Yeah, I don't, oh, no, no, he's he's Darkman. He melts into the darkness and he can assume the form of anyone. Hang so, on, are you just inventing new powers for him at this point? I don't think that's how that works. Yeah, he crouches. <laughs> yes, he hides behind things. Yeah, so he was Meryl Streep in Mamma Mia. He was Danny DeVito in Hoffa. He is everyone and no one. He is everywhere and nowhere. Mm. If we're on excellent disguises, can we please talk about Clark Kent for a minute? I mean, yes, come on. we should. Yes. I mean, that's like she's all that levels of non hidiness Oh, we're going to be talking about that today. Exciting. Oh, um, or are we? Or he's all that? Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, no, but it is fantastic. You, you've probably all seen that clip uh, that went around of, of, you know, Christopher Reeve getting into and out of Superman character. And you can tell who he's playing at any moment, even without, you know, the glasses coming off or the, you know, the suit changing. He's astonishing that that disguise is almost believable, despite the fact that they look identical and are the same person. Yes, it's wild, isn't it? It's a, you know, we've said it before, but it's a masterclass in acting. Mm. That, just the way his posture changes... The way he's more erect as Superman. Stop it. It's 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 fantastic stuff. And it's That's all because amazing. of the glasses. The glasses, the right choice of glasses as well. I can't not mention Inspector Clouseau uh, because as the <laughs> Peter Sellers Pink Panther movies went on, they were sort of flailing around a little bit in terms of comedy. I think that's fair to say. So they started just sticking Clouseau into a series of disguises. I remember him as a as an overweight Frenchman I'm pretty sure it's that scene. It's a very, very famous scene. I'm not sure which Pink Panther movie it's from. They all blend into one for me. But uh, it's a scene where Sellers gets into a lift and he's in this disguise with people. And he's basically playing an overweight French country pumpkin, if I remember rightly. And he gets into a lift with all these fellow actors. And there's a very, very famous outtake where someone, possibly Sellers, just lets off a series of extraordinarily loud farts. And everyone just cracks up. Uh, so yeah, Cluso. But obviously, the guy with Cluso was his disguises were always a bit shonky and a little bit shit. So you could tell it was Cluso because mm-hmm. uh, he was rubbish. So I'm going to say Cluso. Um, I think the best disguise Helen may have nailed it with Hansel and Gretel in Zoolander, <laughs> but I'm going to throw in Doctor Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs, who uh, makes good his escape from the jail at the end of the movie by slicing off a security guard's face and draping it on his own and then essentially just pretending to be an injured man. And then that's how he gets out. That, I feel like that was just like a dry run for face-off, which is, of course, the correct <laughs> answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's uncanny how much they look like each other there. <laughs> totally uncanny. Even their uh, wives don't notice. Yeah. What's that about? 
uh, yeah, arguably the worst movie disguise. There are lots of movie disguises where people don't really try. They don't really mm. bother. And that's, that's played for comedic effect quite a bit. You know, Lando Calrissian in Return of the Jedi, huh. who disguises himself at Jabba's Palace by just basically wearing a mask. You know, but yeah. one that doesn't even hide his face particularly well. You think they they would know what Lando Calrissian looks like, but maybe they don't have sketch artists and stuff. Maybe they don't get Capes Monthly, where he's been a yeah. cover star six times. <laughs> maybe they don't. <laughs> uh, the Joker in The Dark Knight, who infiltrates the hospital by simply putting on a terrible wig and a I, nurse's I uniform. It's quite a good wig, I'll be honest. It's a very sexually confusing scene that I, I don't know how I feel yeah. about it. Is that are you spot? You mean you're sexually attracted to the Joker? That must really be you know keeping you up at night, not in a sex way, but no, he's he. I don't know. He's carrying off the wig pretty well. I just think he he looks good in it. I don't look. I'm I'm talking it through with a therapist. I'm sure we'll be fine. Wow, um, Helen's like a dog chasing cars. She wouldn't know what to do with one if she caught it. Uh, but I'm going to say possibly the worst disguise of all time in the movies is James Bond in You Only Live Twice. Oh God where Bond goes to Japan and has to go undercover in Japanese society. Oh no. And so disguises himself as a Japanese man. And it's problematic, shall we say. (laughs) And to do this, he brushes his toupee forward a little bit (laughs) and... The pit of my stomach falls when I see yeah. Bond yeah. do that and you only live twice. Anyway, all right, listen, as ever, these things are not meant to be exhaustive. I'm sure we're missing out loads of glaring examples. And if you are shouting at your podcast listening to Fights of Choice right now, calling us idiots, well, guess what? You're absolutely right. But do write in, do let us know, do engage with us on the Twitter machines. Uh, I'm at Chris Hewitt. Helen is at Helen L. O'Hara. And James is at James C. Dyer. So just shout at us in a polite and nice way, obviously. And, you know, ingratiate yourself. Don't just call us twats. So if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast, and why the hell wouldn't you after that, then you can get in touch with me on the aforementioned Twitter. You can slide into my DMs. You can reply to any of my tweets, or you can just wait for a panicked shout out every now and again. Time now for our first guest. Felicity Jones is the star of movies like Rogue One, The Theory of Everything, and Like Crazy. She was Oscar nominated, of course, for The Theory of Everything. And now she is one of the stars of the enjoyable romantic melodrama, The Last Letter from Your Lover, in which she plays a crusading journalist trying to find out the truth about a mysterious love affair. I caught up with her on Zoom last week, I think it was, everything's blended into one, for a chat about her approach to acting, journalism and chips, of all things. Hey everyone, it's Chris here, jumping in real quick before the Felicity Jones interview begins to tell you that there's a little bit of a spoiler in this uh, about the end of The Last Letter from Your Lover, which is a movie that I guess, you know, it is what it is. It doesn't have a huge deal of surprises up its sleeve. It's not built on twists. But if you don't want to know what happens in the central romance in the movie, then perhaps only listen to this after you've seen the film. Enjoy. Hi, Felicity. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? I'm in London, in Soho, in fact. Is that an actual <laughs> hotel room behind you? It is, yes. The wow. real deal. I'm so used to Zoom backgrounds and virtual backgrounds and all sorts of stuff. It's... <laughs> it's weird to see a hotel, I know. It's retro, in fact. <laughs> have you been ordering room service? Have you been going oh wild? Oh my God, have I been ordering room service? <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
I'm, I, it's the little things. I miss room service. I, I miss hotels. It's the oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never thought I'd say that I would miss it, but I, I have. Yeah. As you, as you say, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a joyous occasion to be able to order room service these days. <laughs> <laughs> what's your room service? Uh, what's your room service game of choice? What's your, what's your, what's your go-to option? Well, I have just ordered some French fries, so <laughs> any minute now, <laughs> my snack of choice would be arriving. Well, listen, if if the interview gets interrupted and the door bangs <laughs> open and it's someone bringing you a whole bunch of French fries, then that's you'll, fine. You'll understand. You'll yeah. understand. I'm totally okay with it. I am totally okay with it. Uh, so, so congratulations on the film. I mean, this is... This is a, it's a, it gets you there, doesn't it? Proper, proper tearjerker, but in a, in a very kind and nice uplifting way, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's got sort of an old fashioned sweeping romance to it. And as mm. you say, that is, that is very moving. I think the fact that it's an enduring, long lasting love, it really gets you when you see these characters when they're much older and that love has, has, remained yeah. uh, but then there's the it's obviously told through this contemporary lens through this um two people trying to figure out love in a contemporary context yeah absolutely and uh, of course you are the facilitator of that your character ellie and you are a you know i, I think crusading journalist is 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 the, <laughs> the right term for it here and uh, you know your, your, your character digs deep confronted with a problem, confronted with a mystery, digs deep, uses all your powers of, of research to get to the bottom of this mystery. Uh, as a journalist who basically just goes on the IMDB and, and quickly <laughs> Googles someone, I was in awe of Ellie's techniques. Uh, is that, is, is that, what's yep. it like being a crusading journalist? It's basically well, what I want to know. I was going to say, the scenes where she just goes on Wikipedia, we just, we got rid of those scenes. <laughs> Like she probably needs to make a little bit more effort for yeah. this film to yeah. be engaging. Yeah, she's got the bit between her teeth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, she's. Um, it was interesting. We. Um, it's interesting talking to contemporary journalists and and just making sure that because obviously technology is so much a part of journalism now and Twitter and and just just get it was quite a fine balance actually getting that feeling of you know what the story needed was her kind of boots on the ground type journalism, but also mm. making it feel like it was present day. And I was speaking to a journalist who said much more because there were more scenes actually originally set in the office where she was writing in the office. But journalists, I mean, this was pre-pandemic, but yeah. journalists much more are home based these days and will probably write at home and you'll just go into the office for a meeting with the editor. And mm. we were sort of trying to make it feel as sort of relevant and contemporary as possible, but also keeping that that you know, that Ellie does have that drive and, and gets personally involved in something mm. and, you know, goes to the house of the person that she's she's writing about. Yeah, absolutely. Which I, I kind of did do that stuff when I was starting off before I uh, detoured into this nonsense. Uh, and, I, and I was, I actually yeah. did start off as a proper journalist. I would, you know, talk to people and, you know, do court reporting and uh, and I, I do the hard yards, boots in the ground. And that's, that's a very interesting aspect of the job. Yeah, absolutely. And that I think it's a rite of passage, isn't it? For many yeah. journalists, you do you do have to start literally interviewing people in the street and yeah. um and then and then you sort of yeah, build from there. But but Ellie's very much at that point, I think, where she's quite determined and and wants to, you know, she's looking for professional and personal fulfillment and, mm. and finds it when she discovers these these letters and finds this story. Mm. 
So not not to uh, bang on too much about the journalistic aspect of this movie, but uh, it always strikes me that actors, the way you throw yourselves into research feels very journalistic. Uh, in fact, I think sometimes more journalistic than most journalists will ever experience. I was listening to a recent interview with Jason Isaacs, where he was talking about all the various people he's played over the years. He's played squaddies and drug dealers and all, you know, killers and, and people like that. And he's often found himself being paired with people whose real life experience will inform his performance. And he said yeah. that, they, that those people will be much more open with an actor than they would with a journalist. Is that something that, you know, are you, do you feel the same way? Are you afraid, do you interrogate roles in the same way? Do you look at it as that, that deep dive? Is that, is that part of your, your process, so to speak? Yeah, that's um, that's interesting. I'm just seeing if my chips have arrived. <laughs> I noticed you getting distracted. I was like, I realise this is yeah, a very I'm long question. But <laughs> but now you know. I was very honest in the beginning. <laughs> um, no, go for it, but, honestly. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I think um, that's interesting that people, I don't know, I think it takes, uh, I think you, it's trust, isn't it? And I think people, if, if, if people's lives are being put on screen, then they've entered into that and they've decided that they're okay with that happening. So, I mean, if I'm playing real people, then then it's sometimes not dissimilar to the process of being a journalist. You're looking for the story. You know, what is the story of this person's life? Why have they made these decisions? How have they got to this point? Um, so you are looking, you're looking for the story. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting when you speak to people trying, people have very, they come back to the same stories over and over and over again of their life you know, as they get older and trying to get people off their sort of off the beaten track of their anecdotes and getting underneath yeah. and around. And, and that's that's always quite um, quite key, really. But I find just by spending time with someone and and, and just, yeah, I mean, building up trust with them that they they feel like you're, it's going to be OK if you're going to be playing their life story. Because I imagine it's obviously very different playing someone like Jane Hawking or, or Ruth Bader Ginsburg where there is such a wealth of of material outside of, you know, whether or not the real person is still alive or you can meet the real person. Yes. But then Jin Erso, for example, which is where your imagination runs wild. So how do you even research something like that? That's that's always interesting to me. Yeah, that I that I you sort of I feel like you come at that from a slightly different angle that um that was very much, I came from a more physical route, interestingly, that she, I felt like she had been a bit like a street fighter and she'd brought herself up and she'd been um, having, she'd had to be quite physically aggressive in order to defend herself throughout her life. Um, and then that was informed with the kind of training I did physically and um, and doing a lot of uh, martial arts and that kind of thing initially and then doing boxing. And, and so I sort of came at that from a slightly different direction than obviously playing a real person, which becomes more about reading and autobiographical and mm. and maybe a slightly more academic approach. And when, when does preparation for a movie begin for you? Is it when, is there like an anointed day? So for example, you, you're, you know, you, you, you get a part in a movie. Do you go, all right, okay, I've got this part now. I'm going to start work next week. Or does it start right away for you? It, or is this something that happens more gradually? Um, it's funny. It's sort of, I think it, you want, I, I always like to have, you know, time to let something gestate and live with it. And I, it, it's not nice if you feel like you've only got, you know, a few weeks, that's not an, I don't find that a comfortable place. I yeah. think you want to live with that, um, story. You want to sort of 
without sounding too pretentious, kind of meditate mm. on it. You want to slowly find your way into it. And then often you'll be doing some kind of either physical training or voice training or dance. You know, there's always, I find there's something you're having to adapt your you know, your physicality or your personality in some way. And so the longer you have to do that, I think, I think the better. Yeah. There's, there's usually something in a role that you're doing for the first time. Is that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you've got to make it look like you've been doing it for years and years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, precisely. Like, uh, like, like texting in this, but I'm sure you text quite a bit. I mean, that, yeah. took, that was a good, that was seven months of training. <laughs> 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 just to get the specific movement of the thumbs and the yeah so that was one of the hardest things I've how do you do it you've got to make it look so effortless that's that's, the, know, that's the thing exactly exactly <laughs> actually i have to say one of my favorite things is typing on keyboards and films and making it look like you're actually writing something when you're just writing gobbledygook are you actually writing something nope i'm sorry to tell you <laughs> but the joy is in making it look like you're writing something. Oh my god! Okay, well, you just tap, tap, tap. All right. Well, I mean, some of us would write something, Felicity. That's all I'm saying. Some of us <laughs> no, would actually write. More dedicated. Something. Yeah, you know. But hey, oh. you obviously, uh, as well in this one, you are executive producer, and I know that you have recently set up a production company. So is that something that is becoming more important to you uh, as well? Well, I just found that that uh, seemed quite an, an, a natural thing to do. I had studied English literature at university and I'd always been interested in storytelling and, and initially had, you know, I'd wanted to go into all different aspects of filmmaking. Um, and so, and I obviously started acting when I was quite young and then that was sort of my my route into it, I, mm. I guess. So it's felt more and more that I get, I just love, I love the idea of building a story and I love the from start to finish the whole arc of of um of making something so it's just been something that i've you know naturally enjoyed and has has, has sort of developed over the years can you talk about how hands on you were as an executive producer in this one is that were you you there throughout the the, the process with with augustine and and the yeah, writers as well I, it, it's um it's sort of interestingly with this film the executive producer credit, I guess, is sort of formalising a process that often happens, particularly when you're playing leads, which is in terms of script discussion, talking Mm -hmm. to the writer, uh, you know, having that early connection and that relationship and being able to affect some changes early on means that I feel that you can build a much, much stronger character. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was a very, um, just by the nature of the people involved, it was a very collaborative, open process where Shailene and I were, were were given, were given a a voice in the, in the whole, whole process of the film. Uh, Obviously you and Shailene have a a director in common as well. You both worked with uh, Drake Doremus as well. Yeah. Yeah. And actually from that point, from doing like crazy and being in a film that was all improvised and obviously as the cast, you're technically writing it as you go along. I think that always given me a sense of, oh, I'd love to, you know, try some other different roles out in terms of filmmaking. Okay, so so uh, so, what stage are you at now in, in terms of the the evolution of of producing? Uh, you, you've got the, your company, which is Pie Crust, uh, if I'm yes. if I'm right in thinking that. So, yeah, uh, yeah, Pie Crust Productions is a heck of a name. Um, <laughs> and 
what's next for you? Do you have any active projects that you're that you're looking to to get off the ground there? Yeah, yeah, very much. We've um, optioned a book uh, by Lauren Bukes called um, Afterland, Mm -hmm. which is about uh, a post-pandemic world where uh, men haven't survived. So it's an all-female world. So we are in the the midst of development on that. And then we have various other projects um, in, in different stages. But I mean, if there's sort of anything that we're looking at, there seems to be uh, a root of it is always looking at, you know, defiance in some way seems to be a, if there's a theme, you know, initially, not that it's ever that kind of concrete. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but in terms of the roles that I've played before, I generally am sort of drawn to quite sort of defiant individuals. And there's definitely a strain of that in the, in the, um, in the work that we're doing in terms of producing. Is that, was a mission statement in a way going into, into pie crust? Yeah, I think just um, just a, a point to come back to. I mean, mm. I think what what's exciting is you never know what kind of things you're going to be doing and and where you're taken. It's a very instinctive process, but I think at the root of it, there is a the, the devi- defiance is a is a is a strong element of it. I've got to ask about pie crust as, as well as a as a name for your production company. Uh, where did that come from? That was well, pies are great. So, <laughs> they are, you know. especially with chips, room service chips. <laughs> Exactly. Um, very tasty. Uh, but also it is, um, it's the type of, a uh, type of collar, which, um, was originally worn by one of the, uh, former defiant, uh, individuals, Elizabeth the first. So it's okay. a very intricately designed and crafted, uh, type of collar, stand up collar. Um, <laughs> So that's uh, yeah, that's a bit of a inside information. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, you know what? I'm going to be one of those journalists who goes to Wikipedia and Google after this again. I'm not just going to go to IMDb. I'm going to Google Pie Crust after this because I have to see what one of those one of those looks like. Um, <laughs> and I've got to let you go in a second, but uh, I did want to ask about because obviously the way this film is structured is very very interesting. You're in the modern section, and you have Shailene and, and Callum by and large are in the '60s section. So. Did you did you guys intersect at any point? Did you have any days on set where you were just passing each other in the corridor, going, "Hey, how's it going?" Uh yeah, we we unfortunately there wasn't a lot of um, of interaction. I mean, we had Jaylene and I had a couple of days where we had scenes in the same location that they would dress, obviously for sixties and for contemporary. So we would be in the makeup trailer at the same time. Uh, but interestingly, initially. We, Callum and Chaylene were going to play the, their older selves. And then uh, it, it was quite a massive leap age-wise. Mm. So uh, the o- older actors who play them brilliantly um, came in to do those roles. And so that meant that there was, you know, it, rather sadly, uh, there was no chance for us all to act together. I mean, yeah, because it would have been maybe a bit much of a, much of a stretch with the old age makeup and and whatnot. Yeah, you can sort of do a certain amount, but you don't want to get when it gets where there's too many prosthetics, you can lose a bit of the essence of the story and yeah. and then and the and the focus. That is a good call. A good call indeed. Um and listen on that note, I'm going to let you go and enjoy your room service chips. Uh, Fantastic. But I got to ask the biggest question of them all, ketchup or mayo? Both. Both, mate. Both. Get get out of here, Felicity Jones. It's ridiculous. Outrageous thing to say. Outrageous. Anyway, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Indeed. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Okay, so that was Felicity Jones. And now it is time for us to delve deep into the movie news that's been happening over the last week or nine days, more accurately, because we recorded last week's podcast on a Wednesday. So we missed everything that happened Wednesday night onwards, including fairly big news that we might have to tiptoe around a little bit here. But the news I alluded to earlier on in the show, which is that Scarlett Johansson, the star of Black Widow, the actress who's played Natasha Romanoff in the MCU for, let me just check my watch, 11 years now, is suing Disney about box office related bonuses that she believes are due to her post Black Widow, which hasn't done as well at the pandemic affected box office as I think people were expecting. Disney have countered with a very strong statement, to which then yeah. Scarlett Johansson countered with another strong statement. And I think that's pretty much where we are at the moment. And uh, But there's lots of talk. This is a very, very interesting story in that you don't often see this happen. Uh, and there, there are rumours that other stars of Disney movies might also be considering their options as well. Because mm. certain movies like Black Widow and Cruella went to Disney Plus at the same time as the theatrical release. And so there's some suggestions that may well have affected box office and profit margins and bonuses and things like that. Yeah, I mean, look, this is going to come down to exact wording of contracts to which pretty much none of the commentators currently talking about this, including us, obviously, are privy. So it's hard to work out exactly where the legalities lie as a result of that. For example, many of these um, contracts have arbitration clauses which might be why we don't hear about this very often. It might happen all the time, but it goes immediately to arbitration rather than to open court, and we're never privy to that. There is, however, some interesting possibility here for kind of precedent, and I think it's the first sign of something that is bubbling in Hollywood and that is becoming a question, at at the very least, for, for creatives, for crew members and everybody else, which is the fact that the streaming model has upended certain financial arrangements that have been in place for a very long time. So it used to be that you would get residuals, obviously, if your film was shown on TV or whatever else, way down the line. And that wasn't just true of big, big stars like Johansson. That was maybe true of crew members and smaller cast members as well. With streaming, the numbers are so opaque. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows how many people are seeing things. The streamers don't generally or certainly don't consistently release these numbers and also their internal numbers. So there's no oversight and examination of them. So it's hard to know what you're getting, what you should be getting, if you're getting as much as you would have done. And and it seems that people certainly feel that they're not getting as much as they would have done in the past. So I feel like whatever happens with this lawsuit, and, you know, Disney has all of the lawyers in the world going for it, and I'm sure, you know, Scarlett can afford a few herself, but seriously, it's it's an enormous, enormous collection of lawyers there. There is going to be more discussion of this, I think, in the months and years to come. Beyond the pandemic, it's not just about, you know, COVID delayed the release of Black Widow and then it went to Disney+. Plus. It's also about the entire financial system in Hollywood and how that's going to change and how the model maybe at the moment is not serving the people who actually make the movies as much as it's serving the massive companies. So that's, I think that's people's worry. That's why this has gotten as much attention as it has. It may be that, you know, and I'm not saying that any of this is is illegitimate or not above board. It's just that that's the model that's in place. And it may be that that's the model that's in place and everybody has to kind of suck it 
But if so, I think there are going to be calls for that model to change. And it's a question of whether or not those calls will be answered by any of the studios. Does this raise interesting questions about the status of movie stars uh, as well? Yeah. And whether studios are now gambling on the idea that it's the IP that is the draw and not the star. Oh, yeah. I mean, studios have been doing that for a while, I think. And, yeah. and look, I mean, that has, to some extent, there, there's a bit of symbiosis there, I think, with Scarlett Johansson. She was a star already. Like, she was unquestionably a star when she was cast as Black Widow. But there was definitely a, a sort of an aid to both of them. She became a bigger star and Disney, you know, gained a character who, who works brilliantly for them. There's been a really kind of positive symbiosis so far for both parties. The question is how that changes going forward. And, and I think this is the big issue. People are saying well, stars don't matter anymore. I don't think that's true. I think the stars, there are certain stars who clearly have box office appeal in their own right. Yeah. And you see that when they step out of their franchise roles. But you also see that franchises have a life beyond a given star in many cases. So look, it's, I, I think the, the movie star is dead takes are overwrought. I think that the franchise model is flawed, even though I love Marvel movies. And I think that there is room for some kind of negotiation. Maybe not on this specific case. It may be that Disney are really genuinely determined to burn it all down in this case. Uh, or that Scarlett Johansson is determined to burn it all down in this case. I don't know. But I think we're going to see a bit more negotiation in terms of these things going forward. Because I don't think it's as clear cut as all that. Now, negotiation is kind of key though, isn't it? Because it's exactly as you say. It's not like the people are saying, you know, oh, she already got paid X million. Why does she need more? But it's not about that. It's about good faith, isn't it? Like mm. if a deal is negotiated in good faith for an upfront fee and then part of the back end and then the back end is forcibly removed, then that's kind of, they've moved the goalposts and they should have renegotiated her deal as part of that. You would yeah. think, you know, if you have a relationship with a, with a screen star, you know, it's, it's a good faith relationship. You should renegotiate that. And obviously they didn't. And that's her issue. And also, I mean, that argument is like, I mean, legally, morally, ethically, whatever you want to take it, it's nonsense. If if she has enough money, Disney definitely has enough money. <laughs> so, you like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that can go hang. Yeah, yeah, I've seen I've seen many arguments along those lines, and that I think that argument is 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 lacking in substance, shall we say? I would I would suggest also that that's an argument that is leveled more against female stars than men, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case here, but we have seen that in the past. Mm. Demi Moore being christened Gimme Moore for getting 12 million for was it GI Jane at the same or striptease, in fact, at the same time that her husband was getting 20 million and mm -hmm. was not nicknamed similarly. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. There, there is a there is a, a definite double standard in the amount of standing up for themselves that women are allowed yeah. to do. Of course, and yeah, and we're obviously getting in the realms of speculation. But again, I've seen many tweets suggesting that had it been, you know, RDJ or had it been Chris Evans in this same situation, that this wouldn't have happened. But it's interesting. You said you know Disney or Scarlett Johansson are are determined to burn it to the ground and. Uh, a big part of our discussion on our Black Widow spoiler special, which is available now for all spoiler special subscribers, sign up just £2.99 a month, was about was this going to be her last movie as Natasha Romanoff? And I would say that yes, is the answer now. It's good. It, it, it would take a, and also the, the Disney might well point at the box office, which is disappointing uh, by and large. I thought this thing would top out at 600 million in a pre pandemic world, and I don't think it's going to get anywhere near that. So, 
they may point at the box office and go, there's no appetite for a Black Widow 2 or, uh, or whatever else or another Natasha Romanoff movie. So it's OK. We can actually we can burn this bridge. I mean, I don't I don't think she she expects or wants to go back as as Natasha. Not, I think I think now, she feels yeah. no, but even even aside from the, the pay thing, I think she feels like, OK, uh, that's that mm. that was my swan song to an extent. And I think there was a a conscious sense, at least I thought so, of of her kind of saying goodbye to the character in this movie. So I, I don't think that that's the issue. And I I can absolutely see the this, this studio and the star working together on something else again. I mean, she's she's had a very fruitful relationship with Disney over the years. Mm. And we've seen loads of cases in the past 10 or 15 years of stars and, and studios having a massive falling out and then still working together. Yes, these statements have been perhaps unusually strongly worded, but I, I think there's probably still a deal to be made, actually. And I don't think it's necessarily the case that everybody is going to burn the world. But I do think that there is a definite discussion here. Mm. And I think it's even if this goes away and, and we never hear about this again and and they never work together again and they all hate each other. I think we're going to see similar issues to this cropping up over the next few years because I think there is some unease about the streaming model. And I think this is this is the first real open case of it. Yeah, feels like a change is coming for sure. Let's move on to news that, oh God, this is going right into the pilot realm, but I guess we are in Pilot's virtual studio, so it all yes. makes sense. Uh, two TV show things to talk about. Uh, one is that we need a new Doctor Who. Jodie Whittaker is hanging up the sonic screwdriver and I didn't have to Google that. I know what a sonic screwdriver is. Well uh, it is a type of cocktail. And the <laughs> Lord of the Rings television show released its first image this week and is going to premiere on Amazon in September 2022. Now, exciting? How do we feel? Yes, exciting and and utterly uninformed on both. So that's exciting. Uh, the, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings show we do now know is going to be in the second age, not the third age of the one we see. I'm glad we cleared that up. I know, I was yeah, on tenterhooks. I know you are. Um, so it won't be young Aragorn because Aragorn ain't born yet. We're talking young Elrond and young Galadriel rather than young Aragorn. Um, and the image that they released showed a person in front of a city. So, yes. Woo, yeah, they said no details time. there. That was, that was nice. <laughs> was it Roland Riveron? Is that the name of the city? What's, what's, what's the name it, of the city? There's a lot of speculation about what city it is. There I are a number Burnley. of contenders. Burnley. Sorry? Burnley. <laughs> it's not it Burnley. Burnley. No. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's not Burnley. Come and prove me wrong, Lord of the Rings. Come on. Um, but no, we, we don't know exactly what city it is. There are a number of contenders, both elf, elf cities and Numenor cities, Numenorean cities. And it's going to be exciting to find out. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm so excited. Yeah, there was that panicked, a panicked message from them. It was like, what are we going to do? We're not going to have time to do all these. And it was like, oh no, it's 2022. We're all good. We're all good. We don't have to worry like, about that as well in September. I can't talk about Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time and Star Wars and Marvel Too all much. at once. Oh, Too my much gosh. going on. I mean, look, that paled into comparison to the Waterworld news, though, because like I'm like, give me a Waterworld TV Did series, it? people. Give it to me. Dan Trachtenberg, Waterworld. Look, I know I'm Did out it? on a limb here. I enjoyed The Postman and I really like Waterworld. I have a weakness for Kevin Costner's extremely long runtime follies. And I, I liked the world of Waterworld. I thought it was Did fun. You? I would like to see this series. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I look, I mean, I, look the if they film in, in Hawaii again, I'm very happy to do this episode. But, um, <laughs> oh, I mean, a sorry, I wasn't listening properly. A Waterworld TV show. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> of course, the benefit is... 
that now that we moved on a fair old few years from 1995, they don't mm. actually need to spend as much money because global warming means they could just film it, you know, at the seaside. Basically anywhere, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I do uh, love the, um, do you remember the story when Battleship came out? Now, you probably don't remember much about Battleship coming out, but I, remember, I, do, <laughs> I do remember the director talking about the fact that basically he got a call one day from Kevin Costner yes. uh, saying, you know, can I come in and talk to you about filming on water? And then basically Kevin Costner just came in and lectured him and his team about all the all the things that are going to go wrong and just was giving them incredibly practical advice like get two of everything, at least two of everything. If you can get three, get three. I mean, just, just mm. going through every single thing yes. that could possibly go wrong. Which is amazing. why there are three Liam Neesons in that movie. That's true. Yeah, you yes, have to. Because well, it is, of Dark course, Man. a Dark Man sequel. <laughs> Dr. Peyton Westlake is Taylor Kitsch. That was okay. the same year that John Carter came out as well, wasn't it? Like poor Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch, lest we forget, Tim Riggins from Friday Night Lights, which I'm re-watching at the moment and boring people's tits off on the Apology oh, podcast great. about. But he was so good in that show and he mm. should have been this massive star. And I feel like that that double whammy of Battleship and John Carter just torpedoed everything. John Carter is good. I will defend that movie. Is John Carter is good. Yes, it is. The problem Symbiot is that, you know, Jedak. all the films, all the films inspired by it had come out first. So, you know, that didn't help, but... Anyway, we should talk about Doctor Who. Both Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall are leaving at the same time. So showrunner and Doctor at the same time, which is unusual. Usually there's a bit of overlap one way or another. But, I, you know, well, presumably Chris Chibnall been... isn't leaving. He's going to he's going to transmogrify into another generation of himself. So, Oh, OK, then. Cool. Only James could say regenerate in 10 more words than it needed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't remember the actual word for it because I don't watch Doctor Who. I was like, this is the thing where they do the wibbly-wobbly thing and they become another actor. You know that, that know, thing, the, the, the timey-wimey wibbly-wobbly. It's, it's fairly famous. It's fairly well known that Doctor Who regenerates and it's like, sure, oh my God, whatever. Doctor, what's happening to you? Oh, I'm transmogrified into another generation. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to lose my great big fucking nerd credentials? You might, actually. I mean, it's, it's pretty important. I but don't yeah, like Doctor Who. Look, it's interesting. It hasn't been... A, a, I think, a, a brilliant era of the Doctor. And I don't think that's because, you know, Jodie Whittaker is a woman. I think it's because the stories have not been great. The characters haven't had a huge amount of character development. You know, she's had three companions most of the time, but there, there hasn't been a lot for all of them to do. And it's just kind of felt diluted and ineffective for the most part. I, I don't think it's been a great era, so I'm looking forward to a new one and I hope that we get something interesting. I do think it's hilarious, though, that immediately online people are all like, Neil Gaiman should be the showrunner and then we could have A-list star as the Doctor. And it's like, that is absolutely not how the BBC works. And no. Neil Gaiman has like six other no. shows in development. It's going to be Gary Lineker. They're going to keep it in the BBC. <laughs> Gary Lineker or Graham Norton? Nicola Walker. I want to see Nicola Walker. I mean, I'm I'm happy with any of those. It's look, it's going to be a a an interesting British actor or actress who can hopefully bring some eccentricity and some interest to the role. Uh, I don't know. I'm excited though to see them hopefully move on. Yeah, yeah. I don't care. Obviously, but, obviously you know, not. Yeah. Do you care about Nicholas Holt starring in a film called Renfield? Oh, oh, what? Now we're, we're, we're done giving like baddies a sympathetic backstory. Uh, uh, and now uh, we're uh. going to give sniveling little weasels a, a sympathetic backstory. Oh. Hey, James is right here. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Oh. Be nice. Uh, yes, Nicholas Holt is in talks to star in Universal Pictures' Renfield, which is going to be a movie based on Dracula's lackey. <laughs> a, 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 drac a, a Dracky. 
if you will, yes. um, who pops up very briefly in the in the books. It's been played memorably on screen by a number of people over the years. Tom mm. Waits, for example, in the yeah. Francis Ford Coppola version. Uh, Chris McKay, the director of The Tomorrow War, is going to direct the movie, which is based on an original story outline from Robert Kirkman. Ryan Ridley wrote mm. the script. Uh, and we should point out this is, of course, a standalone theme because Universal have abandoned the world. Of gods and monsters. Welcome to a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> now I want to watch the Welcome mummy again. to a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Thank you. That's it, Jesus. I don't know who you are. Do you know what? I watched The Good Mummy at the weekend, so maybe now I should watch The Bad Mummy. The Good Mummy? Is that like a spin-off <laughs> from The Good Wife <laughs> and The Good <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Giuliani Margulies after death. <laughs> Fruit of the poison tree. <laughs> oh, my God. That was a great Good Wife reference. Come on. Netflix, um, if you're listening, and I know you are, we are available to write and show run The Good Mummy. Get in touch with us and we will make it happen. Uh, $400 million, please. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah, no, it, Renfield, and who's, I mean, look, maybe it'll be brilliant. Maybe it will be absolutely brilliant and will change all of my views about... Master, every day is Christmas Eve, master. Yeah. But yeah. remember they tried to make a, a character study of uh, Frankenstein, uh, Dr. Frankenstein's uh, henchman, Igor, and they turned it into Victor Frankenstein and it was great old big load of bobbins. It wasn't so, It wasn't the best film I've ever seen those two stars in, that's true. James McAvoy and, and Danny Radcliffe. Danny Radcliffe. Danny Radcliffe. Danny yeah. Radcliffe. Is that what we're going That's with? what we're calling him this week, okay. Danny Radcliffe. Yeah, not not very excited about that. Yeah, what else? Are you excited about anything that's happened this week apart from people suing each other? <laughs> I am very excited about He's All That. Hmm. What's He's All That? <laughs> It's a gender-flipped version of She's All That. You remember the 90s rom-com with Kiss Me by Sixpence None the Richer? Yeah. I'm so glad I asked. Is that the, <laughs> hang on, She's All That, uh, Freddie Prince Jr., Rachel Lee Cook? Paul Walker as well. Yeah. Paul yeah. Walker? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I barely remember the film. I much prefer the song. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's honestly, it's not one of the best of that generation and, and was one of the very few effective jokes in Not Another Teen Movie where, you know, basically they, they have the same idea. It's basically around a bet. In the it's first Pygmalion, movie, isn't it? Freddie, yeah, Freddie Prince Jr. is this, like, super hot dude, captain of the football team, president of the student body, yada, yada, yada. One of his friends bets him whether he can turn AN random girl into, like, prom queen. Who looks like Rachel of, Lee Cook in dungarees. <laughs> yes, the random girl that they <laughs> randomly pick is Rachel Lee Cook with her hair in a ponytail and dungarees. <laughs> and the one good joke in Not Another Teen Movie, apart from, obviously, you know, the one with the whipped cream. Hey, is, that's a funny film. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> is, is the bit where they basically look at all sorts of random candidates and then pick the incredibly hot person who just happens to be wearing glasses. So it, it's kind of the same thing here. They've they've chosen the incredibly hot person, in this case, one of the guys from Cobra Kai, yeah. um, Robbie Keane, who is just wearing a beanie and has long <laughs> hair. And this makes him a hideous hose beast, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just appalled by how ugly he was. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Uh, Rachel Lee Cook is in it uh, as the, who appears to be the heroine's mum. And Matthew Lillard is also, uh, you know, cameoing after being in a small role in the original. Star of Lizard and the Blizzard. I mean, would be star of Lizard and the Blizzard, yeah. Um, mm. So Mark Waters is directing. He did Mean Girls. That's got to be a good sign. But I mean, it looks totally ludicrous and I can't wait to absolutely collapse in front of it on a Friday night. All right. Very exciting indeed for he's all that. Uh, very quickly, because we have yes. to plug the new issue. We do. Mike Coulter. We like him, don't we? We do, we do. yeah. We like Mike Coulter. We like Jerry Butler, don't we? 
Yes. Yes. Well, they are they are going to be together at last in Ooh. Le Plane. Le Plane. <laughs> Is it an action movie where a plane gets taken hostage? Um, yes. <laughs> so the plane centers around Brody Torrance, who I presume is going to be played by Jerry B, who, after a heroic job of successfully landing his storm-damaged aircraft in hostile territory, finds himself threatened by militant pirates who want to take the plane and his passengers hostage. Fuck off my plane, you bastards! Uh, as the world searches for the disappeared aircraft, Brody must rise to the occasion and keep his passengers safe until help arrives. Um, <laughs> and Coulter will play a cool-headed ex-military man named Louis Gaspard, who is being extradited to Canada on charges of homicide this is I'm not making this up I'm reading this directly on the website when the plane crash lands on a dangerous remote island so simply then he and love Jerry it. team up to fight the pirates I'm so here love for it. it love it to uh, death highbrow that's us yes. yeah want it yes oh, well, yeah when I hear that I raise a highbrow that's what I do but I am still very very excited about it you know what else I'm excited about oh yes uh, Rob Savage his new film Dashcam. Yes. Rob Savage, who did host, mm. yeah. uh, which was obviously the Zoom horror film. Uh, he's done Dashcam, which is presumably shot through a car Dashcam. It's another sort of tight, mm. sort of lean film, 77 minutes long. Nice short one like host. Exciting. Mm. Exciting to see yeah. what's done. Apparently it's an idea he wanted to do before host, but couldn't get off the ground. And obviously yes. post host finds himself with a lot more juice. He can afford a car. Oh, yeah. I can afford a car with a dash cam, yes. Yes. Uh, everyone's suing everyone else this week, so I'm going to sue Rob Savage because this sounds not even remotely close <laughs> to my idea, but close enough for me to throw a, a quick spurious lawsuit his way. Mm. This sounds like my idea, Satan Nav, which is about <gasps> a sat nav that's possessed by Satan and tells mm. people to go straight to hell. You know, okay. so it's you know the the tagline is <laughs> in two hundred yards die. That's right. good, right? I mean, you'd I, see I, that movie, wouldn't I, you? As your lawyer, Chris, I I would just say that you have absolutely no case, and I would rise strongly against. No, but I'm trying to. But just by by launching the lawsuit, people will start talking about Satan Nav and mm. be like, "Hey, have you heard about this thing, Satan Nav?" And then let me go in two hundred yards die. And then Netflix would go, yes, please, mm. here's a check for 300 million. Add that to the 400 million we got for The Good Mummy, and we are cashing out. Ching, ching. Wow. Yeah. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm going to talk to you later about frivolous lawsuits, but mm. otherwise mm. it sounds like a flawless plan. They're the best kind. I like a frivolous <laughs> oh, lawsuit. God. Right, so it is time to plug relentlessly the new issue of Empire, which is on sale right now in all good evil news agents and digital news agents as well. It is a cracking issue on the cover of Empire Magazine. In fact, inside as well is a in-depth article about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, Muggins here wrote it, so apologies for that. But uh, I spoke to loads of people from the movie, Simu Liu, Aquafina, Kevin Feige, the director Destin Daniel Cretton, the writer Dave Callahan, and got the scoopage on what you can expect from this character that nobody, including, I have to say, pretty much everyone involved with the movie, had heard of before Marvel got rolling on Shang-Chi. So that's a, a fun bit of reading right there for you guys. There's also my feature on Annette. Ah, uh, I mean, come on. They're good. Well, people might want to read that. <laughs> I wrote things. You're a monster. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Can I say you haven't heard your own work or read your own work until you've heard it read out to you by a strange American narrator? If you're one of our American listeners, you'll notice that if you go into Apple News, uh, at the bottom there's a sort of little audio tab. It's only in America. There's an audio tab where you can listen to an article 
from Empire read to you by a narrator. And my Lisa Joy piece from the last issue is the one they did in the last one. And it's deeply, deeply upsetting to hear your own work read back to you by, by an American narrator. Just saying that. Mm, I can't remember perfect. which one they did this issue. But maybe it's yours, Helen. Who knows? Nah. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. What else in the issue? So, yes, Helen, you spoke to everybody involved with the net, didn't you? Pretty much, yeah. Laos Carax, Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, and Sparks themselves. Yes. Less and Ron um, So that was really exciting and terrifying. Um, yeah. <laughs> we also have in there, we have a look at the Warriors. We have a tribute to the late, great Richard Donner. We have a sort of spoiler special on the end of Loki which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, Not to be confused, of course, with our spoiler special podcasts no. on the end of Loki, which you can listen to. You might as well double down on the uh, plugin. Uh, if you subscribe to our spoiler special channel, as I say, just £2.99 a month or thirty-two ninety-nine for a year, you will get all our Loki spoiler specials, including interviews with Kate Heron, Sophia DiMartino, and the man himself, Tom Hiddleston. So I cannot recommend that highly enough. Absolutely. We also spoke to uh, Jennifer Hudson about respect, principally, Mm -hmm. her take on Aretha Franklin's life. And there are pieces in there on Leonardo DiCaprio and Esther Williams, the fantastic swimming mermaid of the um, MGM era. Yes, indeed. Lee Isaac Chung in my section, we break down Cruella with Craig Gillespie. We rank Richard Donner's best movies as well. Uh, there's other stuff. There's a first look at The Heart of the Fall, the, the all-star uh, Western, which was announced this week as the opening film of the London Film Festival. There's tons and tons of stuff. Amelia Clark is this month's pint of milk and is a ton of fun. Yes, 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 yes. Get yourself to a good or evil or digital news agent and pick it up right now. It is a belter of an issue, folks. Okay, time now for our second guest. He is a man who has been making headlines this week for possibly all the wrong reasons, but I promise you that he doesn't say anything remotely controversial in our interview. It is, of course, Matt Damon, the star of Goodwill Hunting, the good Jason Bourne films, the talented Mr. Ripley, and now Stillwater, the new film from Tom McCarthy, in which he plays an American man who travels to Marseille to try and fight for the freedom of his daughter, who has been locked up for murder, 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 murder. Now, Helen, of course, was in Cannes recently. Matt Damon was also in Cannes recently. Mm-hmm. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Have you ever seen us in the same room at the same time? You are both Liam Neeson. <laughs> Talking about great disguises, right? Yes. One of these two people is Dr. Peyton Westlake, but I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Anyway, Matt Damon was in Cannes, Helen was in Cannes, so naturally this interview was conducted on Zoom uh, because (laughs) Helen then had to come back to London on the day she was meant to interview Matt Damon. So it's all Helen's fault, really. It was, look, I was, look, it's not my fault they scheduled the interview for after I left, but it was a shame. Yeah, it was a shame. But anyway, here we go. Helen talking to Matt Damon. Enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Chris again, jumping in real quick before the Matt Damon interview begins because this apparently is the week of people revealing spoilers about their own movies in their interviews. Uh, So I have now listened and edited the Matt Damon interview. There is a big old chunk of this interview where he and Helen discuss the end of the movie and what happens to his character in the film. So it's a short enough excerpt that I couldn't pull it out and put it into a spoiler special and it's a big enough excerpt that I couldn't just cut it from the interview so (laughs) so once again I would recommend that you do not listen to this unless you want to know what happens in Stillwater and it is probably best to see Stillwater first and then come back and listen to the interview I think that's fair 
I think that's fair. I think that's a fair warning. Uh, so it's a really fun interview. He's on good form. So here it is. Matt Damon, talk it to Helen, but spoilers, beware. Enjoy. Welcome to the Empire podcast. Um, you know, I love the film. First of all, I really enjoyed it. Um, is you. it, however, one of those roles where you're glad you're not paid by the word? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I haven't heard that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I, I, I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't notice how how little I talk. It's, it's that that subject has come up a lot on this during this junket this mm-hmm. last week, and and uh, I didn't notice how little he talked because it felt like it felt like he said exactly the right amount of words. I guess, mm-hmm. you know, when you go, going to Oklahoma and meeting these guys, um, that, you know, you drive, like to do this job, you, you have to drive these vast distances. Like you might be, the rig might be 250 miles away. And those guys cover that. Like it's nothing like those mm-hmm. roads out in Oklahoma. There's nothing out there. It's flat. It's straight. And, you know, it's nothing for them to drive hundreds of miles to, to an oil rig to go to work. And uh, and so a couple of them will be in the car for hours and hours and yeah. not talk, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's just they're very comfortable not talking. Um, you know, they, they uh, just tend to be at least the guys we met were kind of men of few words. And that's what we wanted kind of Bill to be. He he. So he he does talk when he has to, but he doesn't feel the need to talk all the time. He's very comfortable in silence. Yeah, he's he's a really likable guy. I mean, I've you know I've, I feel like I've met Bills. I feel like I know you know Bills just in real life. Um, yeah, me too. But I mean, yeah. I mean, so you went out to Oklahoma though and met a lot of these these guys, right? And you sort of got to got to see that character at work. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that was the most important thing we did because because i didn't realize the kind of the specificity of uh of this roughneck culture and uh i mean like it's a it's a thing like that Mm -hmm. job in particular it's it's a really really hard job to do and and not a lot of people can do it and they're very proud that they do it and like in oklahoma when you graduate high school you either go to the oil fields or you go to college Right. And and so these roughnecks are kind of like rock stars, like they they get a lot of cash in their pocket. Like when the fields are up they're you know, they're making a lot of money. They're doing they're working incredibly hard, but they're making they're they're walking around with a lot of cash. Mm. And so, uh, you know, that leads a lot uh, can lead them down, you know, a kind of a, you know, that addiction road pretty easily. Yeah. And uh, and that's a common story that you get from so there's a whole kind of that kind of runs the gamut like the guy that was taking us around this guy his name was kenny baker is kenny baker and uh and that's why we named bill bill baker because, oh really yeah because <laughs> we were so grateful to kenny he he just he, he but he but he's like on the far end of that spectrum where he's really got his act together he's mm-hmm. like got a beautiful house and family and and you know he's just really got everything all the ducks in a row and uh you know, but there are guys, you know, these are other guys who you see at the job site who might be sleeping in their truck, Yeah. you know, and, and, um, and, and just kind of keeping it together. And, um, and so we wanted Bill to be like somewhere kind of in between, but more towards that latter guy who, mm-hmm. you know, who, who, who kind of got lost on that road was drinking too much or using and, and he was an absentee father. And so, 
when he comes on the screen, you want to feel that guilt and shame and pain and uh, regret. Yeah. And uh, because of the, the way he's failed his daughter, he knows he has. And he feels this level of responsibility for her being where she is because he wasn't around. And so the story is about this guy who's trying to repair this this thing that's really important to him, but doesn't, you know, doesn't, it wants to help her and doesn't have the, the tools, the yeah. skills to help, to be helpful. So I thought it was just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful script and, and, uh, and heartbreaking at times and, and mm. hopeful at times. And, and, you know, all, all the things that a complex movie should be. Um, the fact that he then has this relationship with this woman and her daughter and, and is able to be, the surrogate father to this eight-year-old kid, the way the he's able to be the way he couldn't be with his own daughter. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you know, it's going to go wrong. You can see, you know, because, you know, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to mess it up and uh, I don't want to give too much away, but um, he, and so I still see kind of a lot of hope in the ending that like this guy's world has been opened up. I love that lot, that last, line like yeah. that tom and and tom tamon no wrote you know like just you know every she, she tells him everything looks the same and it's like no you know yeah <laughs> no you know uh, i get choked up thinking about it. it's like it's really uh i thought just really beautiful and 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 hopeful in the sense that like he knows there's a bigger world out there mm. i mean when we were shooting those scenes going back into his house, Bill's house, like we were just like, Oh my God. Like to Tom did something that was great, which was we shot all of the Oklahoma stuff at the end. So, oh, right. so we did, we did had that whole Marseille experience, which is like 90% of the movie. And, um, and it was such a great and, you know, overwhelming and wonderful and, you know, messy and fun and like it was just such a great experience and uh and and we had done those scenes in that apartment where you just open the windows and you're looking out at the mediterranean i mean it was just mm. so beautiful and you're like this this is this guy's life this is where this roughneck ended up <laughs> like wow you know what i mean and to, uh -huh. and to and to lose that and go all and back into that that you know that depressing house you know <laughs> Like Tom and I walked in there and we looked at each other. We were like, oh God, like, can you imagine, can you imagine what this would feel like, you know, yeah. once you had seen that and um, once you'd fallen in love and, 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 and love this kid and all, you know, all that stuff. So anyway, it was, uh, I, I'm glad he just shot it in that order mostly mm -hmm. because I, I never would have been able to do the scene, the lines are relatively simple. It's not a lot of lines, but to imbue them with the depth that they need, it really helped to have lived that experience. Yeah, absolutely. I went into this very pure. I, I watched it in Cannes. I had was running around so much like a headless chicken. I hadn't even read a synopsis. So I kind of went in and was a little bit at sea at first. I'm like, who is this guy? Why is he going to France? What has he got there? And, and then when, you know, just because of your history, I was maybe wondering, is this going to be a sort of a, you know, dad comes in and fixes everything. And it's absolutely not that this is the anti-born. This is not a yeah. guy who comes to a foreign country and disappears like a ghost. Yeah. I mean, uh, I always think of that line in, 
in uh, in Liam Neeson's movie Taken, where he says, uh-huh. "I have a very particular set of skills." You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I'm like this is the exact opposite of that guy. Like he he has no he no has no tools, no skills. He can't speak the language. Mm. He doesn't understand the world around him. He doesn't yeah. understand the culture. He doesn't understand what's happening. It's a world that's leaving him behind. He he's but he's got this overwhelming impulse to to help to try to help his kid and and so he just keeps kind of pushing forward like a bull yeah yeah he's pretty unstoppable um i, I wanted to ask as well about just working with with lilu because because tom said that you basically had the same kind of dynamic you have on screen she doesn't speak a lot of of english i guess and it was it was sort of a you know love across the languages situation yeah and she's just i you know there's some this happens sometimes with kids that are just naturals you know mm-hmm. there there's they you know you you could have uh, you know two 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 graduate students could have a long discussion about technique about about Lilu and what she's doing. Um, she doesn't know yeah. any of those words, but um, it just doesn't doesn't matter. And the first day she she worked, um, you know, Tom says I didn't remember this, but Tom told me that I that I came off set. After her, the, her first take, and walked over to the monitor and saw Tom and said, "Oh, so that's how it's going to be," <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I do remember at the end of the first day that we we she had gone home, and we sat down together, Tom and uh, and I, and and said, "Okay, like, how do we keep this fun and yeah. joyful for her?" In you know, in in America, we have this thing of a baseball player pitching a no hitter, a pitcher mm-hmm. pitching a no hitter. And what happens is people, once they realize that it might be happening, they just get out of the pitcher's way because they want to make sure that they're not the thing that messes it up. Yeah. And uh, and we talked about making sure we clear out anybody who could potentially start whispering in her ear, mm. or giving her notes or anything like that. She we needed to, to clear the field for her and and just keep it fun and yeah. just keep it really playful and light. And and I have to say the French uh, laws around minors working mm. while they're really hard on a production they're really helpful because um there's never any doubt you they're very strict and she can only work for a few hours and 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 you know that's it you that's know, good yeah that's good i mean because she, yeah. she didn't she never she never burned out and mm. she and she always was happy to be there that's good yeah. i mean speaking of, of sort of light and playful i've got to ask a quick question i mean i know you were back for thor love and thunder so you can't tell me anything about the film i'm not even going to ask but have you personally come up with an elaborate backstory about what your character has been up to during the blip, during everything that's happened since we last saw him? Have you have you worked on all of that enormously important uh, stuff? I, I I I did all my I did all my research. Uh, there's only so much I can tell you. I'm I I may or may not still be an intergalactic community theater actor. <laughs> um, that's how I see him. So. Mm-hmm. It, that sounds more fun than playing a, like a full-on superhero and having to do months of training anyway. <laughs> Look, I, I have to tell you, like, I've never seen Chris train harder. I felt awful for him he, he, <laughs> because he was, you know, they don't build it into his schedule because they have too much to shoot. So yeah. you know, he's got to do that. And the amount of, he, he and, his, and his stunt guy, Bobby, they were just, they, I, I've, I've never seen them. It just, they had to eat every whatever I, I can't even know their schedule. It was just, it was, but it was really onerous. And, uh, um, I told him, I said, you looked great in the last one, man. Why don't you just do that again? Like, why'd you have to get bigger? 
I, you know, but anyway. Yeah, well, listen, awesome. And thank you so much for, for talking to us. And yeah, like I said, love the film. Can't wait to see it again. And um, and I'm just going to write my own fan fiction that uh, Bill has a has a nice life and everything works out for him from here on out. I'll totally, I'll, I'll, I, I'll, I agree with your fan fiction, by the way. <laughs> I really do think it's hopeful at the end. I think he's, he knows he lives in a, in a bigger world, so he's going to be okay. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Okay, so that was Matt Damon. What a time to have Matt Damon on the podcast, eh, folks? <laughs> I didn't know he was going to be controversial. <laughs> Stop being controversial, Matt Damon. How do you like lem apples? Anyway, we're going to talk about still water in just a few minutes. But first up, Sola. Not Emil, not Gianfranco, just Sola. Explain what Sola is or who Sola is, if you will, James Dyer. Indeed. So if anyone was on Twitter in 2015, they will have seen or at least heard about the tweet from Zola King. Uh, she posted a 148 tweet thread, yes indeed, about an ill-fated road trip to Florida. See, I was on Twitter, as you know, I'm on Twitter constantly. Didn't see that thread, had never heard of that thread until this movie came out. Hashtag the story. Yes, I have both heard of it and read it and it is fucking wild uh, and this has to be to the best of my knowledge the be first film based on a twitter thread so the Come idea on. is <laughs> indeed. So, i did the so, world cup of tv theme tunes <laughs> pick that up Perhaps they will, Chris. Perhaps they will. Give it time. <laughs> so Taylor Page plays Zola and she is a kind of a waitress and a part-time stripper working in Detroit. And one day, Stephanie, uh, played by Riley Keough, comes in and starts chatting to her while she's working. She's a stripper. She's a stripper. They get on. They decide to strip together. They have a night where they kind of bond in a kind of like sisterly fun way. And Stephanie says, hey, why don't you come with me on a road trip to Florida? My friend made like $5,000 in a night stripping at this club. Let's go. It'll be great. We're going to go with my boyfriend and my roommate. And she's like, who's your roommate? And Stephanie is quite vague about it. And that should have been warning sign number one. So they go out. I mean... It's absolutely deranged. It's more deranged because this is mainly true. I think there's a certain amount of embellishment in the original Twitter thread and there's a few more liberties taken in this film. I think partly because the Twitter thread goes to some really fucking dark places, which the film really didn't want to go to. It's but pretty dark. Though. It's pretty dark, but it could have been a lot darker. Certainly the end of the Twitter thread is a certain is a curveball. But um, what's interesting about this to me, so this is, this is directed by Janiska Bravo. This film came within a hair's breadth of being directed by James Franco. And I can't get my head around that as a concept. Obviously, the, shall we say, allegations and incidents came out and he is no longer attached to the project. But this, this is very much a female story about female experience and none more female experience. And I just can't get my head around having a male filmmaker sort of driving this. But as it happens, it works out very well. I think it's really well directed. I think the story is very well told. It's also brilliantly cast. I think both Kyo and Paige are almost supernaturally unflappable in their characters here, especially Kyo in this, this role as this sort of stripper who's, you know, turning tricks on the side. And she is completely level-headed. She cannot be swayed from anything. It's quite extraordinary. And all the way through this sort of wild ride, this sort of crazy road trip where everything's going from bad to worse, mm. uh, Zola is trying to sort of keep a lid on everything and stop everything going to shit. And... I think watching her self-possession through this, it's like a masterclass in how to keep calm under fire. It's very, very entertaining. You've also got in here Nicholas Braun from Succession, as well as Derek, the slightly hapless boyfriend, uh, and uh, Coleman Domingo as X, who is Stephanie's quote-unquote roommate. So, okay, 
it's as I said, it's got lots of good elements to it. My issues with this, I found this the tone of this didn't sit brilliantly with me, and this may just be that it's not my sort of film. I think certainly as a as a kind of a look into, frankly, the shit that women have to deal with from awful, awful men. It's incre- it's incredibly well executed and well told. I found it quite sorted isn't quite the word, but I found it quite depressing. It kind of brought me down, the whole film did. I found it, it's not a long film, it's only an hour and a half, it's really, really tight, but I did find it a bit of a stodge, just because from a mood thing, I found it emotionally exhausting to get through the film, and I think I struggled with it a little bit. Also, I think, problematically, having read the thread already, I found that some of the more, shall we say, eye-opening crazy moments, they had tweaked, for, for again, for, for tonal reasons in the film, which I think was just a little bit disappointing. Um, but generally speaking, great film, really well made, but also, I would say read the Twitter thread because the Twitter thread is just fucking wild. Yeah, I thought. I mean, look, I thought as well. Great, great performances. Looked really stunning. I thought the, yeah, the cinematography of this was well, very well shot. Was really stunning and 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 design and everything. When there's a real shift as they move through Florida, you know, you can sort of trace the emotion of the story through the through the sets, through the lighting, through the color choices, and and yeah, Taylor Page in particular. I hadn't seen her in maybe anything before mm, but same. she owns the screen here she absolutely gobbles it up she's fantastic mm. uh, but it is about really uncomfortable topics it's about sex work and exploitation and you know some quite dangerous situations that these women are are thrust into so it's very tense a lot of the time mm. and uh, which is not a criticism but it, it just be ready be aware because this is not a relaxing film to watch but yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it. I just, I'm not rushing to watch it again because I did find it incredibly stressful. It is really, really stressful. And it's quite interesting as well because when you read it as a Twitter thread, it's just, you're just like, oh my God, this is hilarious. And I think the emotional range of reading that and then watching the film are quite distinct mm. from each other, uh, which is maybe why it threw me slightly. Yeah, I, really, I, I, I have to say I really liked it. But can we just give a shout out to Coleman Domingo who is oh having one heck of a year and he is fantastic in this movie as I was watching the movie I was thinking this could be one of those kind of unsung Oscar performances going right here almost unnoticed under your nose so Coleman Domingo is a uh, you know he's in Fear the Walking Dead he's Victor Strand in Fear the Walking Dead he is a playwright Uh, yep absolutely he's uh, he's a a writer in his own right as well Mm -hmm. but he's having a heck of a year so he was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom alongside Taylor Page earlier in the year fantastic Mm -hmm. in that fantastic in this he was in Without Remorse for for two minutes but we won't hold that against him He's in a good film called The God Committee, which is uh, Judith Stiles and Kelsey Grammer, which is out soon, I believe, on VOD. And he's going to be coming up soon in Candyman. And uh, I've interviewed him a couple of times over the last 18 months or so. And he is whip smart, very, very funny, uh, doesn't take himself too seriously. And uh, I think this movie could be one of those you know, one of those indie contenders for, for Oscar. And uh, I wouldn't okay. be surprised to see him. It reminded me a lot of something wild. Mm. You know, the Jonathan Demme film, Something Wild, it reminded me an awful lot where you have uh, uh, an innocent person getting way over their heads. Uh, but yeah, Coleman Domingo is great in this. He's charismatic. He's terrifying. His character, he does this really interesting thing where he can, he switches between an American accent and an African, I think it's Nigerian accent, at the drop of a hat when he wants to intimidate someone. And it's just a really, really nicely played, uh, calibrated performance. Uh, we gave us one three stars which is, of course, a recommendation. Uh, three stars for Sola. If nothing else, they should nominate Coleman Domingo because he's the best-dressed man on the red he carpet. He really is. <laughs> he can carry oh off my God. a fuchsia suit. I mean, yeah. 
that is a high level of difficulty right there. He, you know, the, you know, the hot dog costume from I Think You Should Leave? He could make that work. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Or any of the disguises that we talked about earlier on. <laughs> like Inspector Clouseau's country bumpkin suit. Coleman Domingo could make that fly. So cast Coleman Domingo and everything is basically uh, what I'm taking away from this. Three stars then for Sola. And no spoilers to say that we also gave three stars to Stillwater. But Helen, was that deserved? Tell us about it. Obviously, you're in the pocket of Big Damon having uh, interviewed him <laughs> and Tom McCarthy. But tell us about it anyway. Yeah, no, I I really like this. And, and I'm beginning Told to you. wonder, like, am I out on a limb here? Because no, I, think I liked it, it too. It's been pretty mixed up reviews. So yes, this is the story about, we, we meet this guy who is uh, an Oklahoma kind of roughneck. He works in the oil trade. He is, uh, you know, interviewing for new jobs. But first he has to go off to France. And at first we're a little bit unclear as to why this guy is headed to Marseille and he seems to know the town, he knows the people. And it becomes clear that basically he's there because his daughter is in prison and he has been visiting her, you know, during her trial. And now that she's inside, he's he's still obviously keeping up the visits, bringing her the luxuries that she's allowed, uh, taking away washing and bringing it back to her, which is a fascinating detail of French prison life. And so he's, he's visiting her quite regularly. She's played by Abigail Breslin. But she tells him on this particular visit that she has, you know, new evidence. She has something new, a new lead that might lead them to reopen the case. And he's basically determined to try and fix this for her and, and try and, you know, get the case reopened, get an appeal going, get her out of prison. And so he essentially settles down in Marseille for a bit to look for this new witness that she thinks she's found and try and get the case reopened and essentially starts a new life for himself there. But that sets up questions because ultimately it might come down to a choice between his daughter and his new life and and what's he going to do when it comes to that. So it becomes this really interesting character study of a guy you know, th- there's been a lot of talk about the backdrop to the case and, and the fact that it was inspired by the detail of the Amanda Knox uh, saga that she went through. And she has gone on Twitter and and said, look, they should have talked to me if they're going to take something that draws so firmly from my life, I should be involved, which is a very compelling point that I think a lot of Hollywood films have never considered before. And I think maybe there'll be more talk about that in future. But that's kind of background to this story. This story is actually about the dad character, the father character. It's not about the prison and it's not about Abigail Breslin particularly. It's more a character study of him about whether he can do right by his daughter as he sees it, undo some of his failures in the past as a father and somehow do that without spoiling his new life and his new kind of the new sense that he might have found something worthwhile in France. And and he is completely ill-equipped to do any of this. He is not Jason Bourne. He is not someone who's going to go out and knock heads and find answers and who's going to blend seamlessly into the local populace. You know, this is a redneck guy in the middle of Marseille, completely at a loss for most of the time. And and so it's that that I find quite compelling. This this fish out of water who is trying to do the right thing and quite often failing, basically, according to everyone else in his life. So I just really liked that. I just really liked kind of getting into this world with this character and and having him fumble his way through it. And and it it just it seemed to me a really interesting way to approach a story like this and a, a really interesting tale that I hadn't seen before. The performances are all great. You know, Matt Damon 
whatever his other problems that he might have right now, is a very good actor. Abigail Breslin's great and much more kind of intense than a lot of the roles we've seen her in before. Camille Cotin from Call My Agent is fantastic as Virginie, who's the the French actress and, and single mother who kind of helps Damon through this, this kind of quest of his. But it's it's just about their relationships. It's just about this weird situation. It's about this strange fish trying to fix things as he sees it and um and usually failing and i just really really like that i thought mccarthy did a really good job yeah because yeah i think you go into this with expectations of one film which is taken four and you you don't get that because you know there's an example <laughs> of a previous movie in which uh, a brash american goes to marseille and doesn't exactly conform or adapt to the local ways and that movie is french connection too and that this is not French Connection 3 either. So it's much more of a, a considered drama. And I guess naturally, because it's, it's Tom McCarthy and he that's what he does for the most part. Uh, and I liked it too. I liked it too. I thought it was really well acted and, uh, and compelling and evolving. But we gave it three stars, which is, of course, a recommendation. I think yeah. Helen and I might go a little bit yeah. higher on that one. But, you know, hey-ho. Le- yeah. Leaving aside some of those issues of context, yes. which have been troubling... I think it's I think it's a really good film in its own right. Yeah. That's a bigger conversation though as well, because yeah. as you rightly point out, this is not the Amanda Knox story. And I am I am unsettled as a big fan of, say, Law and Order and Law and Order SVU, which regularly just pull stories from the headlines, change some of the names and change some of the details, and then build an entire episode around it. That that always feels a little bit ethically icky to me. So it's interesting, you know, where do you draw the line it's, uh, yeah. on stuff like this? But judging the movie as a movie on its own merits, we gave it three stars. Three stars then for Still Water. Next up is an Irish comedy horror called The Boys from County Hell. James, welcome to County Hell. James, <laughs> did you understand anything that happened in this movie? Liberate tutame ex infernis. Uh, <laughs> save me from The Boys from County Hell. No. This is uh, from writer-director Chris Bohr, and it's a kind of Irish folktale slash vampire story with a twist. Instead of focusing on the classic Nosferatu, it focuses on the myth of the Abertach, uh, which I'm almost certainly mispronouncing. But uh, that is an Irish vampire story, and the idea is that friends... Eugene and William, played by Jack Rowan and Frafi, are uh, talking about their lives and possibly getting out of rural Ireland. And there's a big old cairn in a big old field that houses a big old monster that everyone seems to know about. But it's the hub of the sort of local myth. And, you know, vampire hunters and Bram Stoker fans come to see this sort of cairn where the Irish vampire is. Just a big old stack of stones with a Bram skull on the top. But still, unfortunately, one night, someone inadvertently awakens the Abertach. Uh, <gasps> no, that's the last. Absolutely. Uh, And then you get people bleeding out of their eyes and indeed their penises. Absolutely true. While the blood is consumed by this demonic creature. Um, So this is an interesting kind of, I guess, different take on the classic vampire myth because vampire stuff can get very, very hoary. And it's nice to see Mm. this done slightly differently. Now, this does try very hard to straddle that, let's be honest, quite difficult line of doing comedy horror and doing it well. Someone like Werewolves Within, which we reviewed recently, did that brilliantly. You know, someone like Shaun of the Dead. It's walking that line, but making it both funny, but also poignant and maybe a little bit scary as well. I think the main problem with this is it doesn't commit well enough to either one. So it's not yeah. particularly scary. And bar one particular gag with a severed leg, I did not find it funny either. I don't think it really leans into the comedy enough. I think a lot of the comedy just doesn't land. So 
SP McCauley, who plays Michael, one of their friends, is the kind of, uh, he's like the comedy friend in the group, but doesn't seem to have any good lines or jokes. And you're kind of waiting for the comedy to kickstart all the way through this, or for the horror to really ramp up. But bar a few jump scares, there's not an awful lot here. I think Bohr tries very hard to give each of these characters some decent inner life. Like the relationship, John Lynch is in here as uh, as Frafi character's father. That relationship's an interesting one. Eugene's father, the relationship he has because they've lost their mother, is also another one which feels fleshed out there. There isn't in a life there. But it's kind of, I found I couldn't really engage with the character's backstories when I just didn't really care what was going on around it. So ultimately, even though this, again, is a pretty short film, it's only an hour and a half, I was a little bit bored and did not love it, sadly. So the Abatach did not seize me. Yeah, I, I feel like it <laughs> needed another pass on the script as well, just to really sharpen the comedy and the horror. Mm. Because I thought there were some really, like you say, really good ideas with, it is a different kind of monster than we've seen before. There are some things there that you could explore that I think they mostly don't. Um, And I think it takes an awfully long time for the horror to get going. And then you you kind of want a bit more than you maybe get. So I I just, I really wanted, obviously I wanted to love it. It's a Northern Irish horror comedy. I mean, like how many of those do you get per year? (laughs) But it's just everything just felt like it was just a little bit more blunt and, and mm. less polished than I, than it should have been to really, really take off and sing. And and all the elements were kind of there. I just felt like it just wasn't 100% landing its punches, if you like. Yeah. Hapless road workers versus vampires just seems like it could have been mined for comedy gold. <laughs> that and yet, so fun. Yeah. yeah. I had some, there were some fun moments and there were some clever little ideas in it. But yeah, for me, I, I just wanted it to be greater than it was. I will say also, even as a Northern Irish person, there were lines I, I couldn't make out. So oh, again, 100%. maybe just another another pass in ADR might have helped as well. Is it not Helen? Is it not done? Cheers. There's a wee bit of that, to be honest. There is a bit of that in there. There is a bit in there. We we gave this one four stars in the magazine. Four stars. Uh, four so stars in the Emperor magazine. For the I think our reviewer enjoyed it a lot more than Helen and I did. Uh, Jesus, no, look. Jesus, Mary and Joseph enjoyed it a lot more than these guys at the fucking ages. Uh, four stars down for the boys from County Hill. Next up in the Empire podcast is another film. It's called The Last Letter from Your Lover. And it's got Felicity Jones and the Felicity Jones and the who else is in it? The old woman, Shailene Woodley. Shailene Woodley's in the film. And your fellow, Callum Turner. He's a lovely fellow. Lovely fellow, Callum Turner. Uh, no one else in this podcast has seen this film. So I'll tell you about it very quickly. It's a, a romantic melodrama. It's based on a novel by Jojo Moyes. Lovely Jojo Moyes. Great film. Great film. Great author. Lovely. Writes a lot of stuff on the keyboard. Great keyboard. Loud. Typing skills. Very, very fast. 90 words a minute. Anyway, so it's a film about a journalist who plays, is played by Felicity Jones. And uh, sorry, I just had to slap myself there. And uh, Felicity Jones plays a journalist uh, who is given an obituary to write uh, on someone who has just died. And in the course of doing that, finds a mysterious love letter from two people whose identities cannot be ascertained from this 1960s, suggesting that there was some sort of extramarital affair. Oh, what's happening? Ooh. And so she starts to dig into it and then we flit back and forth between the modern day and the 60s, where we see uh, Joe Alwyn and Shailene Woodley are in a fairly loveless marriage. She's recovering from amnesia following a recent car accident and can't remember anything. Uh, meanwhile, Callum Turner is a lovelorn man who may or may not have been involved with her pre the accident. And so it's all about all this stuff coming together and uh, all these various strands coming together. And there's actually there's a, a fair amount of just coming together in this as well. It's uh, it's not raunchy in that way, but there, you know, there's, there's some you know, intercourse. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, 
This is based on the novel by Jojo Moyes, in case you didn't understand what I was saying earlier on. This is the last letter from your lover. I haven't read the book, uh, but my understanding is it's a very, very good adaptation of the book. And I enjoyed it for what it is, which is basically the British Nick the Sparks. And uh, it's well acted. Winningly so, I would say, by the by everyone involved. Uh, the modern day section in which Felicity Jones embarks upon a flirtation with Naban Riswan's researcher Rory is also pretty charming. It is a trifle of a movie. It is a light trifle of a movie directed by Augustine Frizzell. We gave this two stars. But if you're feeling particularly generous or if you're one of those people who just likes to watch a nice romantic drama between people who look pretty and gaze lovingly into each other's eyes, then check it out. The last letter from your lover. Thank God you finished that thought and didn't just uh-huh. leave it there. If you like to watch, that was close. Oh, I like to watch, Helen. Oh, God. I, I, I should have said there was a comma there. There was a comma. I like to watch comma like Helen. Watch I don't Helen. like to watch Helen. Oh, no. Oh, oh Lord. God. This has oh, gone God. very badly. Uh, should we talk very, very, very quickly about Fivo? Yes, we shall. This is the Sony Pictures animation musical uh, that's on Netflix this week. Uh, all new original songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who we've never talked about in this podcast before. No. But I guess there's a first time for everything. There is. And he also voices a small kikaju monkey called Vivo who has been raised by a Cuban musician who's voiced by Juan de Marcos González, who is, of course, from Buena Vista Social Club. And then through a series of events that I won't get too much into because I don't want to spoil anything, he ends up basically having to go on a journey with a small girl called Gabby, who's adorable and weird and fantastic, to get a thing to a person in Miami. So he has to go on this mad journey through the Florida Everglades, basically, to get this thing to this person. It's very silly. I am not a huge fan of animated films about animals, which I think I've talked about before. Give me Aladdin over the Lion King any day of the week. Mm -hmm. Having said that, everybody in this is cute. The songs are good. And, uh, you know, it's it's bouncy and colourful and runs along nicely. So... You could do a lot worse. And with the school holidays on, you can probably be very grateful that this exists and you can plonk the kids in front of it for an hour and a half. There you go. Can't say fairly that. Six stars then for Fivo, sounds like. <laughs> no, we give it yeah, three. It, it's fine. It's it's fun. It's it, yeah. it, it, it hasn't stuck with me beyond some of the music. So mm. I would say about a three for me. Feels like we've given everything's got a, a bit of a middling review this week. Mm. but I really liked Sola and Still Water and yeah. if you don't like those if nothing there floats your boat you can always go back and rewatch The Suicide Squad or not you can do what you want I'm not your boss <laughs> you have free will listeners you can do whatever you want but anyway on that note that is it for this week's MR podcast uh, so last week was a live show and we are back again doing another live show in September at the London Podcast Festival and tickets are on sale for that right now and that will be live streamed. So we didn't live stream last week's show for a number of reasons, but we will be live streaming the show in London on September 11th. So if you cannot get a ticket to that or you don't fancy a ticket to see us live in the room, and I totally understand if you don't because obviously we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and you want to see us broadcast out that live, then you can do so. That will not be, as far as I'm aware, a regular episode of the podcast. So the only way you'll be able to see that show, as with last year's London Podcast Festival show, will be through the stream or in person. So go to kingsplace.co.uk for more information and to buy tickets. And also, uh, I should point out as well that we've done a number of additional podcasts recently. We did, uh, James and Beth Webb and I did a celebration of The Walking Dead, 
which is available. It's a lot of fun to listen to, so go and check that one out if you haven't already. And we launched last week our new limited edition series is running for just six weeks, one per week. It's called Celebration of Cinema. And every week I talk to a notable figure from the world of film about their favourite cinema-going memories. We started off with Olga Kurilenko. Next Tuesday will be David Arnold. The week after that will be Asim Chowdhury, star of People Just Do Nothing. The week after that, Simon Pegg. And the week after that, and the week after that, TBC. But they're going to be some great names. So listen to that. That's going to be out every single Tuesday. Spoiler specials are coming thick and fast in the spoiler special feed. Black Widow just went up. We're doing Fear Street, the Fear Street trilogy with director Lee Janiak. We have Cruella and Fast 9 coming your way very, very soon as well. So if you haven't already subscribed, now would be the perfect time to do so and get some of that Tom Hiddleston Loki content into your ears as well. Anyway, I'm not going to be around next week, so you're going to have to join Helen and James for more film-related fun. Party! Party, indeed. (laughs) Uh, Because I am taking what I am reliably informed is a week off and I'm only going to be checking my email uh, four times a day and I'm only going to be writing three features and editing ten podcasts. So it's nice nice and easy, nice and relaxing time. Going back to Northern Ireland, Helen. Hurrah! Fantastic. You'll be stocking up on the Vita bread then. Indeed, I will be clutching Vita bread to my breast. My accent will be getting considerably stronger. But anyway, join Helen and James and someone else next week whenever <laughs> they will be joined by Jeffrey Wright, a.k.a. Yuatu, the Watcher, the voice, the chief voice of Marvel's animated series, What If, which launches next week on Disney+. And which we'll be reviewing on the next episode of the Pilot TV podcast, available on Monday. And we'll also be joined by (laughs) Jodie Comer, the star of Free Guy. Can't say fairer than that. Anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, the Abortac himself, Hmm. James Dyer. Goodbye, Christopher. Goodbye, James. Enjoy next week. It is goodbye from Fever Dog, Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Solid still water reference. Yeah. Yes. I like it a lot. I, I, I have a still water reference in my name. Do you, you think do? you can spot it? No. Yeah. Because it's goodbye from me. Still water, run deep. Yeah, I see what you did there. It's implying yeah. that I have I have depths. I have so well, many depths. I have hidden depths. I have depths you motherfuckers haven't even yes. seen. Experience. Well, that's true. We've never seen them. No. That's true. Been no yeah. real evidence of that. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll see them. You'll see them. Oh God, again, that sounded more threatening than I intended. Uh, Anyway, that is it for me. I'm off to watch every single movie we saw this week and try and find Dr. Peyton Westlake. He's hiding in there somewhere. I'll find you, Peyton. I'll find you. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye. 